On this week's episode of Ride the Lightning, the Tesla unofficial podcast, Tesla shows all its full self-driving cards at an incredibly thorough, detailed, and impressive autonomy event. Plus, Elon and the executive team talk about Tesla's first quarter, and I've got all the highlights and analysis. And as if that wasn't enough, Tesla rolled out major upgrades to the Model S and Model X. Warning, huge episode ahead. What's happening, friends? Ryan McCaffrey with you for episode 195 of Ride the Lightning, the Tesla unofficial podcast for April 28th, 2019. I am currently not flanked by Daisy the Boxer puppy on the couch over there. She fell asleep upstairs when I was putting my daughter to bed, so she is uh, zonking out, probably snoring up in my daughter's bed. We'll see if she finds her way down here as uh, as the show goes on at some point. But first, I wanted to say thank you all so much out there for letting me take a vacation last week. I hope you enjoyed that best of show that I put together for you. I do welcome, as I said, I welcome all of your constructive feedback on that, good or bad. So far, the early returns on it seem to be that uh, people mostly enjoyed it. I guess the the sound quality on the old Elon presentation from 2011 wasn't that great. The sort of, you know, echo in the room made it a little bit tough to listen to. I apologize for that. I did do the best I could with it. It was on a 2011 iPhone, I guess. So that's my excuse. But anyway, this week, boy, my goodness, I'm so glad that I was on vacation for last week rather than this week, because this week was so crazy. Just three major things happened, as if, and two of them were on the calendar, one of them was unexpected. We knew we had the autonomy day where Tesla welcomed uh, a, a list of investors, major investors, into their Palo Alto headquarters in order to explain some full self-driving stuff and what's going on with it, and then show them an in-progress build of the autopilot software with the new full self-driving computer, a.k.a. Hardware 3. So there was that this past Monday, and on Wednesday was the Q1 earnings call with the financial analysts that we get once a quarter. And then as if that wasn't enough, uh, I'm actually going to start with neither of those. We'll get to those. I want to start with the big anticipated, uh, I guess we can call it a technical redesign of sorts of the Model S and Model X. I mean, maybe... The term technical redesign is a bit too strong, but maybe not. I mean, we know it's the tires, suspension, wheel bearings, drive units, and motors are all new. So I would think that kind of counts. So let me explain what I'm talking about there. Uh, this is just incredible, though, what Tesla did to the S and the X this week. They're already the leader in, in the entire industry in uh, range and just electric vehicles in general. We all know that. We all believe in that as, as Tesla owners and enthusiasts. But really, Tesla just, just stomping on the accelerator and leaving anyone else that's, that's even remotely starting to approach them just as little dots in the rearview mirror. So uh, major upgrades. The Model S long range, in other words, the 100 kilowatt hour battery pack, 
is now a 370 mile range car up from 335. And that's on the same 100 kilowatt hour battery pack as it has always had, or you know, has had in, in recent times. The Model X, if you're curious, gets bumped up to 325 EPA range miles. The zero to 60 time also improving on that very same Model S, 3.7 seconds. So the standard long range non-performance Model S, now a 3.7 second car. If you get the new standard range Model S, which is so the, the reintroduction of the 75D, that is good for 285 miles and a flat four second zero to 60 time. Meanwhile, on the Model X, it is uh, 250 miles of range on the standard battery and a 4.6 second zero to 60 and 4.4 seconds on the aforementioned 325 mile range, long range uh, Model X. V3 supercharging is now uh, gonna be able to, to supercharge the S and the X at a rate of up to 200 kilowatts. The V2 is 150. So that's still less than the Model 3, which on its 2170 battery cells can do up to 250 kilowatts or 1,000 miles of range uh, charged per at a per hour rate. However, that obviously is still a significant increase, a 33% increase there. Uh, and they are not, so as you might infer from that, they're not switching over to the Model 3's 2170 cells. Uh, and if you're asking why, that'll probably become clearer over the course of this episode as as uh, you hear from Elon really at the, the uh, Q1 earnings call about cell production and, and uh, the sort of status of, of uh, how much cell production is available to Tesla. Hint, hint, it's still not enough. So all the cells that they can make, all the 2170 cells they can make are still going into the Model 3s. And there's the Model Y on the horizon next year. They're trying to feed the power wall and power packs as well. So still Tesla still using every battery cell that it can get its hands on. Tesla did issue a statement, a nice long blog post about these Model S and Model X upgrades. Here's a part of it. They say, quote, all Model S and Model X vehicles now benefit from Tesla's latest generation of drive unit technology, which combines an optimized permanent magnet synchronous reluctance motor, silicon carbide power electronics, and improved lubrication, cooling, bearings, and gear designs to achieve greater than 93% efficiency. Pairing a permanent magnet motor in the front with an induction motor in the rear enables unparalleled range and performance at all times. The net effect is a more than 10% improvement in range with efficiency improvements in both directions as energy flows out of the battery during acceleration and back into the battery through regenerative braking, end quote. Uh, there is also, as part of this, a new next-generation smart air suspension system going into the cars as well. Tesla saying, quote, we've also upgraded our air suspension system for Model S and Model X with fully adaptive damping, giving it an ultra cushion feel when cruising on the highway or using autopilot 
and a responsive, exhilarating confidence during dynamic driving. Unlike other manufacturers, our suspension software is developed completely in-house using a predictive model to anticipate how the damping will need to be adjusted based on the road, speed, and other vehicle and driver inputs. The system constantly adapts by sensing the road and adjusting for driver behavior, automatically softening for more pronounced road inputs and firming for aggressive driving. We've also improved the leveling of the system while cruising, keeping the car low to optimize aerodynamic drag." End quote. As a PS to this, as if all this wasn't cool enough, listen to this. If you haven't heard about this yet and you're a Model S and the Mo or a Model X owner, uh, your ears might perk up a little bit. Existing Model S and Model X owners, you have a very nice gift on the table from Tesla waiting for you should you elect to take advantage of it. Tesla saying, quote, as a thank you, all existing Model S and Model X owners who wish to purchase a new Model S or Model X performance will get the ludicrous mode upgrade, a $20,000 value at no additional charge. So just note before you get too super excited, you do still have to buy the performance version. So it's not just buy any SRX and they, they're going to take you straight to ludicrous. You do need to buy the performance variant of the S or the X. But still, that is phenomenal and I think a great way to show your early adopters some love. Now, of course, you don't even have to be an early adopter per se. You could have just owned a Model S or X for a month and you are, you are a part of this, you are offered this. Now, but what I think of, I can't help, but I, I gotta look uh, to the people in my life. I think of, you know, this is admittedly an extreme example, but take my cousin Patrick in Arizona, who I don't think I've mentioned on the show in a while now, but take him for instance. So Pat bought a top of the line Model S in February of 2013. So he just passed six years of ownership. That car had slash has a 265 mile range, a zero to 60 time of 4.2 seconds, rear wheel drive, and that car has no parking sensors, no auto folding mirrors, no autopilot. So <laughs> if you compare that to what you can get now, you know, if, if Pat or other early adopters decide to take advantage of this offer from Tesla, Pat could, for roughly the same money as what he paid six years ago, because I actually went into the design studio and ran the numbers, he could get a 345-mile range P100D Ludicrous, so 80 additional miles, or about almost 33% more battery capacity, because uh, if you're wondering, wait a minute, didn't you just say 370? The performance model is uh, rated a bit lower in the in the range department than the standard long range, so uh, 345 instead of the 370. With a with a full self-driving package, a vastly upgraded interior. I mean, the interior, particularly the seats. If you've ever sat in a 2012 or 2013 Model S and then sat in a in one from the last year or two. The seats have just come a long, long way. Tesla, I would say there have been about, I think, four, maybe five variants of the seats that have just gotten better and better over time. Uh, but yeah, 
That's that is what somebody like my cousin Pat could be looking at upgrading and then, you know, getting and then not to mention this, by the way, zero to 60 instead of 4.2 seconds on a rear wheel drive car. He'd have an all wheel drive monster that does zero to 60 in 2.4 seconds. So, uh, you know, and he'd get he'd get that part of it for free. The uh, the ludicrous op- option. So that is pretty awesome. Uh, the bottom line here, just a stunning upgrade overall. Just forget forget about the the upgrade offer for a second. Just taking what the Model S and the Model X were last week compared to this week, a stunning upgrade, in my humble opinion, that really mostly accomplishes the major improvements without any brute force, i.e. a bigger battery pack or bigger motors. Efficiency. Efficiency is the key here. And look what Tesla has accomplished by simply looking to wring more efficiency out of the products, out of the car as a holistic whole. Uh, Motor Trend, if you if you didn't see it, they even did a story on this. Uh, they obviously worked in, in concert with Tesla. They got a nice pre-brief. They uh, were offered the chance by Tesla to drive an S, one of the new S's, the long range, non-performance, the 370-mile range car, from the Fremont factory in uh, here in the Bay Area down to the Hawthorne Supercharger, which is the one at the Tesla Design Center uh, in, you know, in L.A., which is where SpaceX is as well, and, and that's where Franz works. So that, and that is apparently a 360-mile trip, and Tesla said to Motor Trend, come and do it. Take the 370-mile range car and do it, and uh, they did it and made it with not 10, but 40 miles of range to spare. So this is clearly an amazing achievement that that Tesla has has pulled off. Uh, just incredible. And you know, I mean, hey, while it, it's it's certainly great to see other automakers finally starting to ready up some proper electric vehicles, the Audi e-tron, the Porsche Taycan. But as I said earlier, Tesla just they just distanced themselves by a pretty healthy margin. Now again. We want everybody. Well, you know, I'm not I'm not trying to knock those other cars because those those other cars exist in service of Tesla's mission statement, which Elon likes to remind us all of all the time. But in my humble opinion, obviously I'm a Tesla fanboy. You all know that. But I gotta figure. You just just look at the numbers. Look at the, including prices. Tesla is really making it hard for anybody that's willing to buy an e-tron or a Taycan to not buy a Tesla instead. Uh, if you're just looking at the price and looking at what you get for that price, this is quite simply the most significant upgrade that the S has ever seen. And I mean, sure, the X too, but the, you know, the X is so much newer that I think saying, phrasing it in the context of the S is, is more significant because it's it's seven years old rather than you know three years old like the Model X. But just, yeah, take it all together, and it is one heck of an upgrade. Uh, final note on this, out of sheer curiosity, because, you know, hey, I, of course I couldn't help myself, I saw all this and went, hmm, wait a second. I decided to try asking Elon on Twitter if some of these efficiencies, maybe 
you know, probably not the suspension, definitely not the tires, but you know, maybe some stuff like the wheel bearings, you know, what, whatever sort of drive unit developments they've made. I don't know, but could some of these new efficiencies make their way into the Roadster, thereby pumping its already insane 620 mile, aka 1000 kilometer range up even higher into the stratosphere? And uh, Elon kindly replied to that, saying simply, range will be above a thousand kilometers. So I think that's basically a yes, because the range of the next-gen Roadster was previously advertised as being just at, right, it was just stated as a thousand kilometers, not more than a thousand. So, uh, you know, I got to figure, again, just as a thought exercise, but, you know, you got to remember the uh, Roadster prototype is a year and a half old already, and the car won't be out for at least another year, if not maybe two. So what what they showed in the form of that prototype a year and a half ago, it's probably <laughs> Tesla Tesla's not going to stand still. It's the 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 final production roadster could be a decent noticeable bit better than even the absurd uh, prototype that they showed it. And by absurd, of course, I mean, it's, it's metrics, it's performance metrics, you know, the, but you know, if you look at the Roadster, obviously it's built for maximum performance rather than range efficiency. The, the range efficiency is, is a happy byproduct of having that giant battery pack that it needs for its performance. But again, if, if you kind of look at it as a quick thought exercise, the X, uh, gained and the X gained about 10% more range with those changes that all everything I just told you about. If the Roadster got 10% more range, that would put it up to about 680 miles. Now, again, my guess is it won't go up that much because, uh, namely the, t- the tires alone, like the Roadster's got to have those crazy racing tires on it. It's, it's not going to have these special low rolling resistance, you know, custom tires made for efficiency. It's going to have monster racing tires on it. So even if the Roadster were to go up 5% using some of these efficiencies and maybe future ones, that that's still another 30 miles, which would push the Roadster up to a 650-mile range car. My goodness. I know not a lot of people care about that, but um, I couldn't help but think about that. So uh, just great stuff out of Tesla this week. The S and the X becoming... So much more appealing. Just what a for for existing owners, you know, to maybe take advantage of that free ludicrous upgrade, or and certainly just people that have never never bought a Tesla in their life. You're gonna there is now some significant uh, difference between a Model Three long range dual motor and any of the Model S's. I mean, it's and Tesla needed to do that. You know the. I've said this before. I, you know, I think we there was a, a good window of time there where there just wasn't really a that, there weren't too many compelling reasons to spend more money to get a Model S over a, a, a well-equipped Model Three. Now Tesla has provided some significant reasons with certainly the range and then uh, that suspension system too. That is a super advanced thing that the Model Three doesn't have anything close to. And I, I can't. I hope I get to try it sometime. 
I want to see what it feels like, especially in comparison to either, well, to my own Model 3, but to an, an older Model S as well. Oh my goodness. So that was just one thing. We are 19 minutes into the podcast, and that was just one of the three major headline events from Tesla this week. Before I get to the other two, which again, I've, I've, as usual, I've got a ton of great audio clips, all the all the best stuff for you. I've, I've gone through and listened to it all and, and pulled it out, and we'll summarize it and, and, and analyze it. But some quick good news. I just didn't know where else in the show to put this, so I'm going to crowbar it in right here. Some good news for those of you in right-hand drive countries. Your time to order your Model 3 is finally about to be here. In fact, it may have arrived by the time you actually listen to this, depending on when you hear the show this week. But Elon taking to Twitter to say, UK Model 3 order page goes live next week, followed shortly thereafter by Japan, Australia, New Zealand, and Hong Kong. He later specified in a follow-up tweet that the UK would go up on May 1st or May 2nd. So I just want to say a preliminary congratulations to all of you out there in the right-hand drive countries, or at least those four, who have been waiting so, so long for your Model 3s. You're, you're finally about to be able to order your cars, and your wait will hopefully not be that much longer. Okay, let's talk about Autonomy Day. Again, Tesla hosting a number of uh, big deal investors to come in, and uh, Tesla just opened their doors and said, we want to show you everything we're doing with regard to autonomous driving and full self-driving and our new full self-driving computer and the software we're working on to you know, push towards level four. This thing, uh, to my surprise, was... You know, I expected the usual one hour at most presentation. It was over two and a half hours long. Uh, and I will tell you this, this was not a magic show or a dog and pony show. Tesla simply laid all of their cards on the table with regard to autonomous driving, and they explained exactly, and I do mean exactly, what they're doing and how they're doing it in exhausting detail. It was the most dense presentation that I've ever seen Tesla give uh, for anything. And I, and I mean that in a very complimentary way. It was just an incredible display of engineering brilliance as well as, honestly, it came across as uh, showing a lot of confidence in the company's plan and their vision. Uh, I learned a lot. I, it was... It was an outstanding event, uh, you know. I, even even if I am not smart enough to have comprehended everything that Elon and Andre Karpathy, who's the director of AI, and Pete Bannon, who's the VP of Autopilot Engineering, and Stuart Bowers, the VP of Engineering, talked about. Those were your presenters. But uh, what's interesting too is they said that they plan on doing more of these in the future as they progress as, as pro, uh, progress is made. And as a bonus to this, sorry to throw in another roadster nugget that some people might not care about, but uh, this, I think this is just interesting. Even if you don't care about the roadster per se, we learned at this event how to get into the roadster. 
because uh, if you remember, the Roadster prototype has no door handles, and Tesla had not said how you get in the car. So uh, I want to thank Hamid Shoji. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. If I'm not, I sincerely apologize. Hamid was at the event, and he tweeted a short little video and, and put it up on YouTube as well. They had the, they had the Roadster, the red, the red working Roadster prototype, sitting there in the room at, the, at this Investor Autonomy Day event with no velvet ropes. They could actually get in it. So uh, Hamid did. He came up to the car, and I guess, I don't know if somebody, he'd asked somebody or he just figured it out, but there is on the B-pillar, so, you know, next to the door, uh, where, where your autopilot camera is, your, your uh, outward-facing autopilot camera is if on an S or an X or a 3. So you just, you, you see th- there's like three little dashes, subtle dashes, on the B-pillar uh, down near, near the, the body line. And you just take your finger and swipe down presumably with the key in your pocket, which I'm sure will be a smartphone key, just like the Model 3. And so, you know, with that, you swipe down and the door pops out. And I I say that only because it's, I just find it interesting that now again, uh, Tesla has, they've made a Roadster, the original Roadster, they've made the Model S, they've made the Model X, they've made the Model 3, and they haven't made the Y yet. So I'm going to leave that out just for for this purpose, or the semi too, but, because I guess, all right, so the three, the Y, and the semi all use the same door handles, the, you know, cantilevered, you know, hockey stick style door handles, but Tesla being Tesla, they really like to to play around and have interesting different ways to to get in cars. You know, the, the original Roadster had a traditional door handle, it was, you know, obviously based off the Lotus Elise. The uh, Model S obviously has its self-presenting door handles. The Model X has the self-presenting doors, but also if you you know press them, just you just press in the the button, the, the door handle as a button basically. And then I just you know the Model Three. So this is now the uh, what the fourth different door handle style, <laughs> fourth different entry style on uh, out of a total of like what, six Tesla vehicles total? So I found that pretty interesting. All right, uh, back to the autonomy day itself. There's so much dense technical information here. And the presentation was so long, again, two and a half hours, over two and a half hours, that it's simply impossible for me to give you all of the highlights. This would be a four hour show. You'd, I'd probably just, you'd probably be throwing your your uh, <laughs> your listening device, your your phone at the wall, like Ryan, stop! It's too long. This show might already be too long. I don't know. I have, I'm I'm still making it, but if you're up for it, my point is, if you're up for it, you should check out the whole thing online because it is very interesting. But I do have highlights, so here we go with some top level highlights, and you're about to hear the clips. Most of these clips are Elon. And the reason that I chose Elon clips for the most part is because the three autopilot leads who I mentioned a few minutes ago, they were giving the hardcore technical explanations to things. And Elon, who was sitting on stage with, you know, with each presentation, he would tend to step in at times and chime in and either 
translate what the other three guys were talking about into more layman's terms and or he would provide context. So, um, of course, that said, I'm going to start with a, a Pete Bannon quote. Again, Pete is the vice president at Tesla of autopilot engineering. So here's Pete giving the timeline on the full self-driving computer project. Um, I was hired in February of 2016. I asked Elon if he was willing to spend all the money it takes to do full custom system design. And he said, well, uh, are we going to win? And I said, well, yeah, of course. So he said, I'm in. And uh, so that got us started. We hired a bunch of people and, and started thinking about what a, full, uh, what a custom design chip for full autonomy would look like. We spent 18 months uh, doing the design. And in August of 2017, we released the design for manufacturing. We got it back in December. It powered up, and it actually worked very, very well on the first try. We made a few changes and released a B0 rev in April of 2018. In July of uh, 2018, uh, the chip was qualified, and we started uh, full production of uh, production quality parts. In December of 2018, we had the autonomous driving stack running on the new hardware, and we were able to start uh, retrofitting employee cars and testing the hardware and software out in the real world. Uh, just last March, we started shipping uh, the new computer in the Model S and X. And just earlier in April, we started production in Model 3. So this whole program, from the hiring of the first few employees to having it in full production in all three of our cars, is just a little over three years and is probably the fastest uh, system development program I've ever been associated with. And it really speaks a lot to the advantages of having a tremendous amount of vertical integration um, to allow you to do concurrent engineering and speed up deployment. So a really fascinating summary of the project history there. And, and you hear the confirmation that all Teslas now, including all the Model 3s, are now shipping with the full self-driving computer. Awesome stuff. Uh, in this next clip, here's Elon Musk discussing how the car will work with regard to uh, various redundancy systems that they've built into everything. Yeah, if I can add something, the, I mean, the general principle here is that it, any part of this could fail and the car will keep driving. So you could have cameras fail, you could have uh, power circuits fail, you could have one of the Tesla full-self-driving computer chips fail, car keeps driving. Uh, the probability of, the, of this computer failing is substantially lower than somebody losing consciousness. That's, that's the key metric, at least in order of magnitude. I don't really have too much to add to that, just to say that Tesla, as always, designing their products with safety in mind first and foremost. Let's go back to Pete now, summarizing the results of the development of the full self-driving computer. We had a goal to stay under 100 watts. This is measured data from cars driving around running the full autopilot stack. We're dissipating 72 watts, which is a little bit more power than the previous design, but with the dramatic improvement in performance, it's still a pretty good answer. Um, of that 72 watts, about 15 watts is, is being consumed running the neural networks. In terms of cost, the silicon cost of this solution is about 80% of what we were paying before. So we are saving money by uh, switching to this solution. And in terms of performance, we took the narrow camera uh, neural network, which I've been talking about, that has 35 billion operations in it, we ran it on the old hardware as, uh, in a loop as quick as possible, and we delivered 110 frames per second. We took the same data, the same network, uh, compiled it for hardware 
for the new FSD computer. Uh, and using all four accelerators, we can get 2,300 frames per second processed. So a factor of 21. I think this, this is perhaps the most significant slide. It's night and day. I've never worked on a project where the performance increase was more than three. <laughs> so this, this was pretty fun. If you compare it to, uh, say, NVIDIA's Drive Xavier solution, a single chip uh, delivers 21 teraops. Um, our full self-driving computer with two chips is 144 teraops. So to conclude, um, I, th I think we've created a design that delivers outstanding performance, 144 teraops for neural network processing. It has outstanding power performance. We managed to jam all of that performance into the thermal budget that we had. It enables a fully redundant computing solution. It has a modest cost. And really, the important thing is that this FSD computer will enable a new level of safety and autonomy in Tesla's vehicles without impacting their cost or range, something that I think we're all looking forward to. If you're not a technical person, and I have to say, I barely followed some of that thanks to the fact that I've paid attention to GPUs and, and sort of the basics of those in gaming PCs for many years, Tesla achieved all of their goals with room to spare. The full self-driving computer, it sure appears to be an awesome piece of specifically custom-built silicon for a very specific purpose. And uh, by the way, the question was later asked and answered about where that computer is being built. And like the cars, it is also built in the USA, and it's being built by Samsung in Austin, Texas. So I thought that was uh, worth mentioning as well. Here's Elon now uh, doing Elon things, meaning he can't help but slip in uh, and talk a little, little bit about something in the future that Tesla's working on. This is definitely one of the big headlines coming out of this autonomy day. It's maybe worth pointing out that we, we, we finished this design like maybe one and a half, two years ago and began design of the next generation. We're not talking about the next generation today, but we're about halfway through it. That will, all the things that are obvious for a next generation chip we're doing. Well, Elon can't help himself. Uh, you know, he, he gets excited about the cool stuff they're doing and here he lets it slip that Tesla already has the next generation full self-driving computer in the works. And he says, everything that would be obvious will be in it. But uh, if I have any smart people out there in this field, I would love it if someone would explain exactly what he meant by that. Because if the full self-driving computer is capable of handling full self-driving and it's custom built for that, what would the next generation version of it offer? You know what I mean? Like, it's it just cheap. Will it be just cheaper and more efficient to run? I mean, it, it can be better. I mean, certainly you can always push the, the chip technology further, but I'm sort of curious, functionally speaking, what might a next generation chip in a couple of years even, even be doing that this one, as they outlined in detail today, won't be doing. And, and the other thing, too, is I wonder if, if this next-gen one that they're starting on now, if it's going to be designed to be a plug-and-play replacement like the new one is, uh, or, or is it just going to be like a total ground-up redesign that we won't see until 
Model 4 or maybe Roadster or, or some or the pickup, maybe one of the future vehicles. Now, he did later say, he did say one other thing, that the this next-gen chip will be three times better than the new full self-driving chip, which is like 21 times better than hardware 2.5. So still uh, still making huge leaps and bounds in, uh, in technological advancement here, man. I can't wait to see where this goes. Here's another clip from Elon uh, talking about the strategy behind their, their whole full self-driving approach with regard to the combination of hardware and software. Yeah, to, to be clear, like the, the, the strategy here, and it this, this started, uh, you know, basically three, a little over three years ago, was uh, design and build a computer that is fully op- optimized and aiming for full self-driving. Then write software that is designed to work specifically on that computer and get the most out of that computer. So you have tailored hardware uh, that is that is a master of one trade: self-driving. Um, the NVIDIA is a great company, but they have many customers. And so when, as, as, they, as they apply their resources, they need to uh, do a generalized solution. Um, I, we care about one thing, self-driving. Um, so that it was designed to do that incredibly well. The software is also designed to run on that hardware incredibly well. Uh, and the combination of the software and the hardware, I think, is unbeatable. It makes perfect sense, honestly, and it fits right in with Tesla's vertical integration strategy. It's what's allowed them to be nimble and stay ahead of the competition despite having far fewer resources. Next clip, here's Pete talking about the patents. He was asked a question, hey, have you guys filed patents on any of this stuff? And here's what Pete had to say. Uh, We have filed on the order of a dozen patents on this technology. Fundamentally, it's linear algebra, which I don't think you can patent. So <laughs> I'm not sure, <laughs> but <laughs> I, I, I think if, if somebody started today and they were really good, they might have something like what we have right now in three years. Um, but in two years, we'll have something something three times better. I found it interesting that Elon didn't breathe a word about open sourcing patents. You know, I I suppose that only applies to him wanting other people to make electric vehicles. He's fine with that. He wants that. Sure, use our patents. But maybe Elon's not quite as eager to share their autonomous driving technology because there's so much money to to be made from that. And that in and of itself doesn't necessarily push uh, towards achieving the company's mission of of transitioning the world to sustainable energy. Okay, now Andre Carpathy came on, and here he is explaining how uh, the neural net sees and tags lane markings in the roads. So you can do this very quickly, and you need one example, but computers do not work like this. They actually need a ton of data of Japanese spaniels. So this is a grid of Japanese spaniels showing them, you need thousands of examples, showing them in different poses, different brightness conditions, different backgrounds, different crops. You really need to teach the computer from all the different angles what this Japanese spaniel looks like, and it really requires all that data to get that to work. Otherwise, the computer can't pick up on that pattern automatically. So what does all this imply about the setting of self-driving? Of course, we don't care about dog breeds too much. Maybe we will at some point. But for now, we really care about lane line markings, objects, where they are, where we can drive, and so on. So 
So the way we do this is we don't have labels like iguana for images, but we do have images from the fleet like this, and we're interested in, for example, lane line markings. So we, a human typically goes into an image and using a mouse annotates the lane line markings. So here's an example of an annotation that a human could create a label for this image. And it's saying that that's what you should be seeing in this image. These are the lane line markings. And then what we can do is we can go to the fleet and we can ask for more images from the fleet. And uh, if you ask the fleet, if you just do a naive job of this and you just ask for images at random, the fleet might respond with images like this, uh, typically going forward on some highway. Uh, this is what, um, um, you might just get like a random collection like this, and we would annotate all that data. Now, if you're not careful and you only annotate a random distribution of this data, your network will kind of pick up on this, uh, this random distribution on data and work only in that regime. So if you show it a slightly different example, for example, here is an image that actually the road, the road is curving and it's a bit of a more residential neighborhood. Then if you show the neural network this image, that network might make a prediction that is incorrect. It might say that, okay, well, I've seen lots of times on highways, lanes just go forward, so here's a possible prediction. And of course, this is very incorrect. But the neural network really can't be blamed. It does not know that the, train on the, the tree on the left, whether or not it matters or not. It does not know if the car on the right matters or not towards the lane line. It does not know that the, uh, that the um, buildings in the background matter or not. It really starts completely from scratch. And you and I know that the truth is that none of those things matter. What actually matters is that there are a few white lane line markings over there in the, in the vanishing point. And the fact that they curl a little bit should pull the prediction. Except there's no mechanism by which we can just tell the neural network, hey, those lane line markings actually matter. The only tool in the toolbox that we have is labeled data. So what we do is we need to take images like this when the network fails, and we need to label them correctly. So in this case, we will turn the lane to the right. And then we need to feed lots of images of this to the neural net. And neural net over time will accumulate, will basically pick up on this pattern that those things there don't matter, but those lane line markings do, and we learn to predict the correct uh, lane. So he used an example in his presentation of a dog breed called the Japanese Spaniel to show that the human brain can see what one of those dogs looks like and then be able to identify it any time after that. But then he explained that the neural net doesn't work that way. Basically, the neural net has to be told what to do, and the real-world stuff it sees is super insane and weird, like trucks stacked on top of other trucks, or bikes on the backs of cars, or overturned cars, or airborne cars. In fact, here's Elon following up on just that. We have a really good simulator. Yeah, um, it's, it's, I mean, I think like, simulation, you're fundamentally uh, grading, your, grading your own homework. So you, you know, you, you, if you know that you're going to simulate it, okay, you can definitely solve for it. But as Andre is saying, you don't know what you don't know. The world is very weird and has millions of corner cases. Uh, and if, you, if, if somebody can pr produce a self-driving simulation that accurately matches reality, that in itself would be in a monumental achievement of, of, of human capability. They can't. There's no way. Continuing this thread, we go back to Andre talking about uh, teaching the neural net about weird stuff that it sees in the road. Now, the fleet doesn't just respond with bicycles on backs of cars. We look for all the thing, We look for lots of things all the time. So, for example, we look for boats, and the fleet can respond with boats. We look for construction sites, and the fleet can send us lots of construction sites from across the world. We look for even slightly more rare cases. So, for example, finding debris on the road is pretty important to us. Uh, so these are examples of images that have streamed to us from the fleet that show tires, uh, cones, plastic bags, and things like that. 
if we can source these at scale, we can annotate them correctly, and the neural network can learn how to deal with them in the world. So if I'm understanding that correctly, theoretically, it could learn potholes in the road and where they are and learn to avoid them? Sure sounds like it, and that would be so, so useful for autopilot. So useful. Let's go back to Elon Musk uh, talking about how the network gets trained all the time. So that's fleet learning. No humans were harmed in the process. It's just a lot of neural network training based on data and a lot of shadow mode and looking at those results. Yeah. Another, I mean, essentially, like um, everyone's training the network all the time is what it amounts to. Whether the, whether autopilot is on or off, uh, the network is being trained. Every mile that's driven uh, for the car that's hardware to or above is training the network. Yeah. Another interesting uh, way that we use this in the scheme of fleet learning, and the other project that I will talk about, is a path prediction. So while you are driving the car, what you're actually doing is you are annotating the data because you are steering the wheel. You're telling us how to traverse different environments. So what we're looking at here is a, some person in the fleet who took a left through an intersection. And what we do here is we, we have the full video of all the cameras, and we know that the, the path that this person took because of the GPS, the initial measurement unit, the wheel angle, the wheel ticks. So we put all that together, and we understand the path that this person took through this environment. And then, of course, this, uh, this, we can use this for uh, supervision for the network. So we just source a lot of this from the fleet. We train a neural network on, the, uh, on those trajectories. And then the neural network predicts paths uh, just from that data. So really what this is referred to typically is, is called imitation learning. We're taking human trajectories from the real world and we're just trying to imitate how people drive in real worlds. And we can also apply the same data engine crank to all of this and make this work over time. I gotta say that kinda makes me wanna go out there and not use autopilot in order to help train the fleet to learn some more. I'm a pretty good driver. Of course, everybody probably says that about themselves. All right, here's another interesting little uh, nugget that Elon volunteered without being asked about uh, an extra, another little project going on inside Tesla. The, 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 the car is uh, an inference-optimized computer. Uh, we do have a major program at Tesla, which we don't have enough time to talk about today, called Dojo. That's uh, a super powerful training computer uh, the goal of Dojo will be to be able to take in vast amounts of data and train at a video level um, and do unsupervised massive training of vast amounts of video with the, the Dojo program, Dojo computer. But that's for another day. So you've been hearing about how much Tesla has to go in and catalog a lot of their data by hand. Dojo sounds like it's going to automate a lot of that and thus I presume in turn make the fleet learning improvements much, much faster. That is cool. Uh, in this next clip, somebody asked, one of the investors asked uh, the very question that I think a lot of us have since using the Navigate on Autopilot without lane change, which is, hey, it'd be nice if the lane changes were themselves more aggressive. And this is what Elon had to say about that. Uh, so... One thing I will point out is I spoke about the data engine as iterating on neural networks, but we do the exact same thing on the level of software and all the hyperparameters that go into the choices of when we actually lane change, how aggressive we are. We're always changing those, potentially running them in shadow mode and seeing how well they work. And so to tune our, our heuristics around when it's okay to lane change, we would also potentially utilize the data engine and the shadow mode and so on. 
ultimately, actually designing all the different heuristics for when it's okay to lane change is actually a little bit intractable, I think, in the general case. And so ideally, you actually want to use fleet learning to, to guide those decisions. So when do humans lane change, in what scenarios, and when do they feel it's not safe to lane change? And let's just look at a lot of the data and train machine learning classifiers for distinguishing when it is too safe to do so. And those machine learning classifiers can, can write much better code than humans because they have the massive amount of data backing that. So they can really tune all the right thresholds and, and agree with humans and, and do something safe. Well, we can, I think we'll probably have a mode that goes beyond Mad Max mode to LA traffic mode. Yeah. Well, you know, Mad Max would have a hard time in LA traffic, I think. Yeah, so really it's a trade-off. Like, you don't want to create unsafe situations, but you want to be assertive. But that little dance of how you make that work as a human is actually very complicated, and it's very hard to write in code. Um, but I think we really do, you, it really does seem like machine learning approach is kind of like the right way to go about it, where we just look at a lot of ways that people do this and try to imitate that. We're just being, like, more conservative right now, and then as we gain higher and higher confidence, we'll allow users to select a more aggressive mode. Um, That'll be up to the user. Uh, but in, in the more aggressive modes, in, in trying to merge in traffic, there is a slight, I mean, even, no, matter, no matter how minute, there's a slight chance of like a fender bender, not a serious accident. But you basically will have a choice of do you want to have a non zero chance of, of a fender bender on freeway traffic, which is unfortunately the only way to navigate uh, LA traffic. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> So not that I doubted it, but it's good to have direct confirmation that the auto lane change aggression is going to improve on Navigate on Autopilot. Uh, still moving here through Autonomy Day, here's Elon talking about regulatory approval. With, you know, that's, that's a big part of the full self-driving conversation. Once the tech is done, it still has to get regulatory approval before it can be rolled out to actual customers on actual roads. So here's Elon speaking to that. Yeah, there's, 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 there's three steps to self-driving. You know, there's being feature complete, then there's being feature complete to the degree that where, where we think that uh, the, the person in the car does not need to pay attention, and then there's uh, uh, being at a reliability level where we've also convinced regulators that that is true. So it's got, like, there's kind of like three levels. We expect to be feature complete in self-driving this year, um, and we expect uh, to be confident enough from our standpoint to say that w we think people do not need to touch the wheel, look out of the window sometime probably around, I don't know, second quarter of next year. Um, and then we start to expect to get regulatory approval, at least in some jurisdictions, for that towards the end of next year. That's, that, that's a roughly the timeline that I, that I expect things to go on. Well, I hope he's right about the regulatory approval not taking too long. Uh, I, I have to say, I worry about that part of it no matter who's in the U.S. government. I mean, it's it just I feel like anything, <laughs> anything of that significance that could transform automotive travel and just travel. There's so many safety implications and there's just a, there's a lot to it that I worry that, you know, any government is going to take a while to approve something like that. But I'll tell you, that aside, if Tesla can make that timeline, then... Wow, the, the future, what could really start next year, sort of the future we all envisioned as kids. Uh, not that the future hasn't already started, because it certainly has, but you know what I'm saying. Just self-driving cars, sleep in the car, it takes you to work. Crazy. Okay, uh, shadow mode and how shadow mode is making the fleet better. There's an interesting topic. Let's go to Stuart uh, real quick to hear a little bit about that. 
Another thing that I think is really, really exciting to me, I, I think when I do hear about sensors like LiDAR, a common question is around just having extra sensor modalities. Like, why not have some redundancy on the vehicle? And I want to dig in on one thing that's not, is not always obvious with neural networks themselves. So we have a neural network running on our, say, wide fisheye camera. That neural network is not making one prediction about the world. It's making many separate predictions, some of which actually audit each other. So as a real example, we have the ability to detect a pedestrian. That's something we train very, very carefully on and put a lot of work into. But we also have the ability to detect obstacles in the roadway. And a pedestrian is an obstacle. And it's shown differently to the neural network. It says, oh, there's a thing I can't drive through. And these together combine to give us an increased sense of what we can and can't do in front of the vehicle and how to plan for that. We then do this across multiple cameras because we have overlapping fields of view in many places around the vehicle. In front, we have a particularly large number of overlapping fields of view. Lastly, we can combine that with things like the radar and the ultrasonics to build these extremely precise understandings of what's happening in front of the car. We can use that both to learn future behaviors that are very accurate, but we can also build very accurate predictions of how things will continue to happen in front of us. So one example I think is really exciting is we can actually look at bicyclists and people and not just ask where are you now, but where are you going? And this is actually the heart of what we're doing for our next generation automatic emergency braking system which will not just stop for people in your path, but will stop for people who are going to be in your path. And that's running in shadow mode right now. We'll go out to the fleet this quarter, and I'll talk about shadow mode in a second. That sounds super cool. Predictive automatic emergency braking, and they're gonna start training it in our cars in shadow mode super soon. Stuart's presentation, uh, by the way, was the shortest of the three autopilot leads there. So now I'm actually gonna take you to Elon's summary of, of the whole thing, sort of his closing remarks. There's a lot in here. This is a long clip, I'll warn you, but I think it's worth a listen. I actually trimmed this down a lot. There were investor question, questions after. I cut most of that out, but this clip's 13 minutes long, but uh, it's all Elon. I think it is pretty interesting. Take a listen. So let's see. Um, you know, a few other things that maybe worth mentioning. The in order to have a self-driving car or robo-taxi, you really need redundancy throughout the vehicle at the hardware level. Um, so starting in, maybe it was October 2016, uh, all cars made by Tesla have redundant uh, power steering. So we have redundant motors on the power steering. So any one failure of the, if, if, a, if the motor fails, the car can still steer. Um, all of the power and data lines have redundancy. So you can sever any given power line or any data line and the car will keep driving. The uh, auxiliary power system, uh, even if the main pack, you lose complete power in the main pack, the car is capable of steering and braking uh, using the auxiliary power system. So you can completely lose the main pack and the, the, the car is safe. Um, the, the whole system, it, from a hardware standpoint, has been designed to, for, uh, to be a robo-taxi since basically October 2016. Um, so when we rolled out hardware, uh, autopilot version two. Um, we, we do not expect to upgrade cars uh, made before that. Uh, we think it would actually cost more to make a new car than to upgrade the cars. Just to give you a sense of how hard it is to, to do this. Um, unless it's designed in, it's, it, it's not worth it. So we've gone through the future of self-driving, um, where it's, it's, it's hardware, it's vision, and then there's a lot of software, and there's a uh, the, the software problem here should not be minimized. It's a, it's a massive software problem uh, that, that uh, yeah. 
managing vast amounts of data, training against the data, uh, how do you control the car based on the vision? It's a very difficult software problem. So going after, going over just like Tesla, Tesla master plan. Obviously, we've made a bunch of forward-looking statements, as they call it. Um, <laughs> um, and um, but let's go through some of our other forward-looking statements that we've made. You know, way back when we created the company, we said we'd build the Tesla Roadster. They said it was impossible, and that, and that even if we did build it, nobody would buy it. Um, this was like universal opinion, was that building an electric car was extremely dumb and would fail. Um, I agree with them that probability of failure was high, but, but that this was important. So we built the Tesla Roadster, um, got it into production in 2008, um, and shipping that car, it's now a collector's item. Then so we built a more affordable car with the, the Model S. We did that. Um, again, we were told that's impossible. Um, I was called a fraud and a liar. And it was not going to happen. This is all untrue. Okay, famous last words. Now is we, we, we went to production with the Model S in 2012. Uh, it exceeded all expectations. There is still, in 2019, no car that can compete with the Model S of 2012. It's seven years later. Still waiting. Uh, so we'd build a, 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 um, a, an affordable car, maybe highly affordable, it's affordable, more affordable, uh, with, with the Model 3. We built the Model 3, we're in production. Um, I said we'd get over 5,000 cars a week for Model 3. Uh, at this point, 5,000 cars a week is, is a walk in the park for us, it's not even hard. Um, so we'd do large scale solar, which we did through the Solar City acquisition, um, and that we'd develop and deploy the solar roof. Um, which is going really well. We're now on version three of the solar tile roof, uh, and we expect to spool our production of the solar tile roof significantly later this year. Um, I, I have it on, um, my, on my house, and it's great. Um, and I, I said we'd make the uh, power wall and the power pack, and we made the power wall and power pack. In fact, the, the power pack is um, now deployed in massive grid-scale utility systems around the world, um, including the, the, the largest operating battery projects in the world that at uh, above 100 megawatts. Um, and in the next, or probably by next, in the next year, two years at the most, we expect to have a giga, gigawatt scale battery project uh, completed. So all these things, I said we would do them. We did it. I said we'd do it, we did it. We're gonna do the rover taxi thing too. Only criticism, and it's a fair one, and sometimes I'm not on time. <laughs> But I get it done, and the Tesla team gets it done. So what we're going to do this year uh, is we're going to reach uh, combined production of 10,000 a week between SX and 3. feel very confident about that. Uh, and we feel very confident about being feature complete with self-driving. Um, next year, we'll expand the product line with Model Y and Semi. Uh, and we expect to have the first operating robo-taxis next year with no one in them next year. It's always difficult to, like when, when things are on an exponential, at, at an exponential rate of improvement, it's, it's, it's very difficult to kind of wrap one's mind around it because we're used to extrapolating on a linear basis. But when you've got massive amounts of, of like as the hardware uh, 
massive amounts of hardware on the road, the, 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 the cumulative data is increasing exponentially. The software is getting better at an exponential rate. Uh, I feel very confident predicting uh, autonomous robo-taxis for Tesla next year. Not in, all not in all jurisdictions, because we won't have regulatory approval everywhere, but I, I, I'm confident we'll have at least regulatory approval somewhere literally next year. Um, so any customer will be able to add or remove their car to the Tesla network. So we expect this to operate um, it's, some, it's sort of like a combination of maybe the Uber and Airbnb model. So if you own the car, you can add or subtract it to the Tesla network, and Tesla would uh, take uh, 25 or 30% of the revenue. Um, and, uh, and then in places where there aren't enough people sharing their cars, we would just have dedicated uh, Tesla vehicles. Um, so we'll we'll when you use the car, we'll show you our ride-sharing app. So you'll be, able to, you'll be able to summon the car from the parking lot, get in, and go for a drive. It's really simple. So you just take the same Tesla app that you currently have, we'll, just do, we'll just update the app and add a summon, summon Tesla or, or commit your car to the fleet. So it's either summon, summon your car or add, summon a Tesla or add, your, add or subtract your car to the fleet. You'll be able to do that from your phone. So we see um, potential for smoothing out the demand distribution curve. Um, and having the car operate at a much higher utility than a normal car would operate. So like, typically, the use of a car uh, is about 10 to 12 hours a week. So most people will drive um, one and a half to two hours a day, typically 10 to 12 hours a week of total driving. But if you have a, um, a car that can operate autonomously, then most likely you could probably, most likely you'd have that car operate for a, a third of the week or longer. So there are 168 hours in a week, so probably you've got something on the order of 55 to 60 hours a week of operation, maybe a bit longer. Um, so the, the fundamental utility of a vehicle increases by a, a factor of five. So you can look, look at this from a macroeconomic standpoint and say just, if, if this was like some, if we were operating some big simulation, if you could upgrade your simulation to increase the utility of cars by a factor of five, that would be a f massive increase in the um, economic efficiency of the simulation. Just gigantic. So um, we'll do Model 3 S, S3 and X as taxis, but um, we, we made an important change to our leases. So if you lease a Model 3, you don't have the option of buying it at the end of the lease. We want them back. If you buy the car, you can keep, you, you can keep it, but if you lease it, you have to give it back. And as, as I said, where in any locations where there's not enough to, uh, supply for sharing, uh, we'll, Tesla will just make its own cars um, and add them to the network in that place. So the current cost of a Model 3 robo-taxi is um, less than $38,000. We expect that number to improve over time. Um, and we're designing the cars. The cars currently being built are all designed for a million miles of operation. So the drive units are designed, for, uh, designed and tested and validated for a million, million miles of operation. The current battery pack is about maybe 300 to 500,000 miles. Uh, the new battery pack that's probably going to production next year is designed explicitly for a million miles of operation. The entire vehicle, battery pack inclusive, um, will, will, is designed to operate for a million miles with minimal maintenance. maintenance. So we'll actually be adjusting uh, 
tire design and uh, re really optimizing the car for a hyper-efficient robo-taxi. And at some point, you won't need steering wheels or pedals, and we'll just delete those. So as, as, as these things become less and less important, we'll just delete parts. Just, they, won't, they won't be there. Um, if you say, like, probably two years from now, we, we, we make a car that has no steering wheels or pedals. And if we need to accelerate that time, we can always just delete parts. Easy. Um, yeah, probably, say, long term, three years, robo-taxis with, with eliminated parts. It maybe it ends up being $25,000 or less. And you want a, a super efficient car so that the electricity consumption is very low. So we're currently at four and a half miles per kilowatt hour, but we can, we'll improve that to five and beyond. And there's just really no, no company that has the full stack integration. We've got the, the vehicle design and manufacturing. We've got the computer hardware in-house. We've got the in-house software development um, the, and, and AI. And we've got by far the biggest fleet. It's extremely difficult, not impossible perhaps, but extremely difficult to catch up when Tesla has 100 times more um, miles per day than everyone else combined. This, this, is, these, these today, this is the cost of running a gasoline car, or the, the average cost of running a car in the US is taken from AAA. So it's currently about 62 cents a mile, um, you know, uh, 13 and a half thousand miles, 250 million vehicles, adds up to two trillion a year. Um, these are literally just taken from the AAA website. Um, the cost of ride sharing is, uh, according to Uber and Lyft, is two to three dollars a mile. Um, the cost to run a robo taxi, we think, less than 18 cents a mile, and and dropping. Like this is this is, this would be current, this current cost. Future cost will be lower. If you say what would be the probable gross profit from a single robo taxi, um, we think probably something on the order of thirty thousand dollars per year. And we expect that we're, we're, we're literally designing we're, we're, we're designing the cars the same way that commercial semi trailer semi trucks are designed. Commercial semi trucks are all designed for a million mile life and we're designing the cars for a million mile life as well. So in nominal dollars, that would be you know, a little over $300,000 over the course of 11 years. It might be higher. I think these consumptions are actually relatively conservative. And this assumes that 50% of the miles driven are, are, there's nothing, are, are not useful. So this is only at 50% utility. By the middle of next year, uh, we'll have over a million Tesla cars on the road with full self-driving hardware, feature complete, uh, at a reliability level that we would consider uh, that no one needs to pay attention. Meaning you could go to sleep in your, from our standpoint, if you fast forward a year, a little, maybe a year, maybe a year and three months, uh, at, but next year for sure, we will have over a million robo-taxis on the road. The fleet wakes up with an over-the-air update. That's all it takes. You say, what, what is the net present value of a, a robo-taxi? Probably on the order of a couple hundred thousand dollars. So buying a Model 3 is a good deal. What Elon said at the end there, the fleet wakes up with an over-the-air update. That's all it takes. I tell you, that is what I've always dreamed about. That one day I would wake up 
and I would go down to my garage and suddenly my car would be able to drive me to work without me having to pay attention. That day is coming sooner than I might have guessed, it seems. Sleep in your car by mid-2020, Elon says. And I know I've touched on this before, but that will just revolutionize road trips whenever that does happen. That would mean that I could drive to Arizona to see my parents almost almost entirely overnight. Not, not all the way, but uh, a good chunk of it could get done overnight while I sleep. Now, that's assuming, by the way, that Tesla solves the charging issue of, of autonomous driving, which, by the way, Galileo from Hyperchange TV, super nice guy, you may remember him as the guy from YouTube who Elon famously kept going to on that uh, infamous investor call where Elon got sick of the boring, boneheaded questions uh, that were asked. And anyway, so uh, Gally asked Elon about the charger snake, and Elon only said, he didn't really give a hyper-detailed answer, but he did say that doing the robo-snake was trivial. So that was what he said about that. But anyway... When this happens, if this is if this is really next year, it means I could drive to Arizona, uh, sleeping a lot of the way there, instead of driving all day to get there and losing an entire day to the road trip itself. I would, it would give me more time with my family. Uh, also, I wonder what the new million mile battery pack is going to be. Now, presumably, that'll go into all of the cars since the entire fleet is being targeted as a robo-taxi capable, it's not just S and X or just the 3 and the Y, the Model 3 and also now the S and the X already have the million-mile drivetrain, so presumably the million-mile battery won't be a new form factor necessarily. It could still be the 18650 and the S and the X and the 2170 and the 3 and the Y, but... I suppose, I presume, it would likely be a new chemistry. Now, Elon also specifically didn't mention the Roadster when he was talking about the Y and the Semi expanding the fleet next year, which, uh, you know, there could be for a couple of reasons, but uh, namely, it's got to just be, I mean, it's it's clearly the company's lowest priority, which it should be, honestly. So I, I wonder if Roadster will end up slipping to 2021. And uh, the last thing I wanted to call out from Elon's closing remarks there was what he said about his own track record. It was great to hear him say something that I've said to people in my own real life, none of you guys, like uh, in, in meat space, <laughs> not on a podcast, but you know, people who would get on my case when I, back when I was still waiting for my Model 3, some of you maybe can relate to this, and I would tell people that, hey, Elon might not get the incredible, impossible thing that he's set out to do finished on the timeline that he lays out, but I would tell people that he does get it done eventually. And guess what? He got Model 3 done eventually, and now I have one and lots of you have one. I mean, you could hear the confidence, and I think even if I may be so bold, the pride in Elon's voice when he said that. I loved it. What a And just overall here, what a wonderful, highly educational 
two and a half hours this was. Again, I, I did my best to boil down the very best stuff for you, but there is a lot more goodness in there if you have the time to go listen to it on Tesla's YouTube channel. Uh, now, if you just, I want to take a quick breather here, going to just throw in the bumper music for a second while I gather myself and we'll move on to the earnings call, the third of three major Tesla news items this week. Be right back. All right, real quick before I get to the earnings call from Q1, a quick reminder that abstractocean.com has got a ton of awesome Tesla accessories for both you and your car. Their top sellers currently the vinyl stuff, so the console wraps, but they've got logos, handles, all kinds of neat little uh, customization bits for the exterior of your Tesla. Lighting, you know, those puddle lights to shine the Tesla logo of your choice down from the, the bottom of your door, but interior LED light upgrades, because the ones that Tesla ships with the car aren't super bright. Uh, they've also got the tempered glass screen protectors. They've got trays for the Model 3 center console, so all kinds of stuff, and they've got that 15% off discount code for first-time customers that listen to this show. Use the coupon code RTLPODCAST at checkout, all one word, RTL podcast to get that 15% discount off of your first order. Okay, earnings call time. Elon, JB, and Kirk, the new uh, chief financial officer, all uh, on this call. And uh, let's get started with Elon Musk's opening remarks. On, on Monday, we hosted our first ever Autonomy Investor Day, showcasing our new in-house designed full self-driving computer and our AI-based software trained by more than 400,000 Tesla vehicles. Uh, all Tesla cars being built today have uh, all the hardware necessary for full self-driving, um, and over-the-air updates will enable uh, our customers to use the Tesla ride-hailing ride network fleet uh, and generate income, which, um, as we said on Autonomy Day a few days ago, um, we think is somewhere between $10,000 and, and, and $30,000 a year, in some cases perhaps more. We're the only company in the world producing our own vehicles and batteries, as well as our own in-house chip for, for full self-driving. Uh, we're in a position unlike anyone else in the industry. And in 2020, we expect to have a million robo-taxis on the road with the hardware necessary for, for full self-driving. We believe we'll, ha we'll have the most profitable autonomous taxi on the market. Uh, and that's the, yeah. Um, Last quarter, we experienced a massive increase in delivery volume in Europe, similar to what North America experienced last year, um, as well as a massive increase in delivery volume to, to China. As far as challenges go, this was a good one to have because we built vehicles and consumers bought them. But this rapid increase in overseas volume strained our logistics operation and resulted in over half of our global deliveries occurring in the final 10 days of Q1. Uh, this, this was the most uh, difficult logistics problem I've ever seen, and I've seen some some tough ones. Uh, so I'll say it again: like we literally delivered the half of all vehicles produced, or half of all deliveries occurred in literally the final ten days of of Q1. As a result, a, number, a large number of vehicles 
the vehicle deliveries uh, shifted into Q2, which caused net in- Q1 net headcount to be negatively uh, impacted, as we simply could not get the vehicles to customers physically in time. In response to this, we are in the process of regionally balancing our vehicle bills throughout the quarter. Uh, this will make the uh, uh, this will put much less strain on Tesla, result in a much better uh, delivery experience for customers, um, and um, have a very positive effect on our working capital uh, in the middle of the quarter. Uh, in Q1, Model 3 was yet again the best-selling premium car in the U.S., outselling the runner-up by almost 60%. You know, it's worth just dwelling on that for a moment, just how uh, absurd this is compared to predictions that were made several years ago. Uh, uh, there were literally, to the best of my knowledge, zero predictions that, that this, this would happen if you go back just even five, five or six years ago. Um, then an electric car would be the best-selling um, premium car in the U.S. Um, and, and we believe over time it will be the best-selling premium car throughout the world. Uh, and in fact, in, in Norway, we, in March, um, uh, we, uh, we, we set a record for the highest sales of any car period ever. Um, and that'd be something similar in, in Switzerland as well. So. Um, these are really incredible achievements by the Tesla team. Um, since the introduction of Standard Range and Standard Range Plus, nearly 70% of trade-ins for Model 3 have actually been non-premium vehicles, uh, where, where people are actually paying more for a car than they have ever paid for a car. They never anticipated paying this much for a car, but because they they want the Model 3 more than they've ever wanted a vehicle, they're willing to to uh, pay more to get a Model 3. Um, so and, and keep in mind, global expansion for the Model 3 has just begun, and this segment is uh, vastly larger, larger uh, internationally than it is in the U.S. We're continuing to make significant improvements to our vehicle lineup, including updating the Model S and X production line to accommodate the next generation of powertrains. So the, we announced this uh, yesterday, and um, we're now in production with uh, the um, significantly more advanced powertrain for the Model S and X, as well as an upgrade to the suspension system to have uh, uh, active adaptive dra- uh, damping in the suspension system uh, and to enable charging at 200 kilowatts, uh, which is, um, and, and there are a number of other small, small changes. Uh, if anyone, um, is thinking about upgrading their Model S or X. This is a, a great time to do it. Um, and uh, we also introduced a loyalty program where uh, if, if somebody has, is an existing Tesla owner and they buy a performance Model S or X, they get the ludicrous upgrade for free. So this, uh, um, yeah, you know, as, a, as a thank and appreciation to uh, existing Tesla customers. So they have a long, longer range. The Model S now has a range of 370 miles. This is an actual EPA range of 370 miles. And Motor Trend test drove the car a few days ago and drove nonstop all the way from San Francisco to Los Angeles at normal highway speeds. And they said they could have even gone faster. 
and they were they were in a headwind as well. So this is uh, pretty remarkable that an electric car can go nonstop between uh, the, the the two biggest cities in California. Um, I, I mean, I remember back when I was driving gasoline cars, I always had to stop at the gas station. <laughs> this is literally better than a gasoline car, with, with, with rare exception. Um, and it, it, there's also an increase in uh, power. Um, so it accelerates faster. It's just better, better in every way. Um, and, and we're able to do this without increasing the size of the battery pack, which is uh, a testament to, to the powertrain team and uh, you know, for, for being able to uh, improve the efficiency of the powertrain by, by such a significant margin. Um, so, with the recently announced product improvements on Model S and X, as well as continued expansion of Model 3 globally, we expect our order rate to increase uh, significantly uh, throughout the year uh, and, and commensurate with our production levels. Um, and uh, in terms of other products, I'm very excited about the future for, for, for other products, especially for full self-driving, which will fundamentally transform uh, transport as we know it. Um, the, the, the Tesla semi-truck, Model Y, uh, uh, improvements to Powerwall, Powerpack, uh, the solar roof version 3 on the energy side, um, and uh, no, question, no, question, no question in my mind that Tesla has the most exciting product roadmap of any uh, consumer product company in the world. And finally, I want to thank our uh, employees for their incredible work and our customers for their continued support. I feel like Elon sounds almost a bit bummed out right there. Like he knows that this is a quarter that's not going to go over well with uh, with Wall Street. Maybe I'm reading too much into it. I don't know. But this was clearly a prepared statement that he was reading from, uh, which he doesn't usually do, which is why I pointed out. And, and he really, he was mostly just restating what was said in the shareholder letter, which normally I'll read you a few excerpts from that, but now I don't need to because Elon really did just read you all the highlights from the shareholder letter. Also, he does reiterate something he's said before with the Tesla has the most exciting product roadmap of any company in the world statement, uh, which I always love hearing that because I, of course, as a Tesla fanboy, agree. Look at the, look at the lineup they've got. They got some crazy pickup truck that they're about to unveil later this year based on the that one uh, very compelling Blade Runner-like teaser image that they showed. They've got the Roadster. They've got the Semi. They've got uh, the Model Y. I mean, there's, there's, some, there's such neat stuff that's, that's uh, coming up from Tesla. Love it. Okay, Elon was asked about the Maxwell acquisition, the battery technology company that I told you about a while ago, well, that still hasn't closed. And so uh, one of the analysts going, saying, hey, what's going on with that? Jonathan, do you want to? Yeah, hi, it's Jonathan Chang, the general counsel here. Um, right now, we're just going through approvals with the SEC. Um, there's not um, a whole lot of things holding it back. We're on schedule, we're on track. Um, right now, we're looking to close in mid-May. Well, just in case you were worried about that at all, no need to worry. Closing mid-May. Can't wait to see what that acquisition does for Tesla in the coming few years. It's, uh, you know, you got to figure Tesla did not buy a company like that for, you know, just giggles, for, for laughs and giggles. There, There's a good reason 
why Tesla chose to acquire them. Can't wait to see what they add to the company. Uh, here's probably the single highlight as far as surprises of this earnings call go. Uh, I don't even want to spoil the surprise. I'm just going to let Elon tell you about it. Uh, the answer is uh, yes, we are creating a Tesla insurance product, um, and we hope to launch that uh, in, in about a month. Okay. It will be much more compelling than anything else out there. Yes, insurance. This was probably the most surprising thing out of an otherwise pretty by-the-book earnings call. Now, this isn't unprecedented for them. Remember a year or so ago, they piloted their own insurance program in 2017 in a partnership with Liberty Mutual. I had to go back and, and look this up. I covered this in episode 115. Now, this sounds like it'll be their own deal, although admittedly, I'm I'm totally inferring that from Elon's words. I don't actually know. Not yet. I'm going to be very, very curious to learn about this. Uh, obviously, there are a lot of considerations for everybody here, but if Tesla is using the data that they already have on you, how much you use the safer-than-regular-driving autopilot, etc., in order to get you a lower premium, that could be a really, really compelling thing. Personally, just speaking for me, I, I'm going to need a pretty good deal, or, or more likely, I think, what might be more likely to happen, superior coverage at a price close to what I'm paying now, which I suppose in some respects is a better deal, depending on how you want to look at it. Because, uh, as I'm sure a lot of you are, I'm on an umbrella discount with my insurance company with, you know, the homeowner's insurance, all that stuff. So um, everybody's case is going to be different here. So we'll see. I'll, I will absolutely be sure to let you know. We're going to be talking more about this on the podcast once more details emerge. How about the semi? What's going on with Tesla semi production? Let's hear from Jerome on that front. Jerome Guillen, who is the head of the Tesla Semi project. This is Jerome. Next year, we'll start production. We're very happy. We're driving the trucks extensively uh, with, um, I think, so far, yeah, the, quite amazing success. Yeah. The, the prototypes are working amazingly well. Yeah, very well. We just use them all the time. We load them to maximum weight and um, continue to make improvements. Um, so we, we even use them to deliver some uh, Model 3s. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, um, uh, so, yeah, we'll start production next year. Uh, the location is not yet uh, set, but it's pretty clear that we make all the batteries and drive units in Reno. So Jerome basically says it's going to be made at Gigafactory 1 right there, but for whatever reason, he can't or won't explicitly say so. I mean... Gigafactory makes a lot of sense for this, right? The semis are huge, number one, and there isn't much room in Fremont, although hold that thought until the next clip. Uh, there's, there's endless room, effectively, at the Gigafactory. Second, the semi is going to need a lot of cells for that 500-mile range battery. Uh, and remember, that's 500 miles with a full load, so who knows how big that battery pack actually is. So assembling those giant battery packs right there on site, uh, as they, of course, do at the Gigafactory, and then putting them right into trucks at, on site instead of having to transport them makes a lot of sense, too. And third, on that same note, the motors. There are uh, four Model 3 motors that go into a semi-truck, 
And those are made at the Gigafactory already as well. So if you don't have to transport four motors for every single semi down, you know, off to another location to, uh, you know, where the, where the trucks are assembled, if they're just assembled right there, that saves a lot of logistics as well. So makes a ton of sense. All right, how about Model Y? So where, where, oh, where will Model Y be built? Here's Elon speaking to that. One other comment I'll make, I'll make in case, since nobody asked us explicitly, uh, for Model Y production, um, we are uh, right now um, trying to decide whether Model Y vehicle production uh, should be in California or Nevada. Um, and uh, we, we, we expect to make a final decision on that uh, very soon. Um, but in the meantime, we've ordered all of the tooling um, and equipment required for Model Y. So uh, we do not expect this to in any way delay uh, production of Model Y. Um, but um, it, it's currently uh, a, a very close call between Nevada and California as to whether we do the Model Y um, at Giga or at Fremont. But those are, those are the, the two options, and, and we'll hopefully be able to make a decision in the next, uh, next few weeks. I have to say, I'm surprised that this is even a consideration, because on the last earnings call, Elon sounded very confident that the Y would be assembled at the Gigafactory. He said that was the plan. You know, that he, he specifically said that it wasn't set in stone, but that that was what the plan was looking like. Um, where would they have the room in Fremont? Well, <laughs> just to keep this, this uh, thought train going, an analyst later on in the call had that very same thought and posed the question to Elon, and here was Elon's response to that. Where the heck would you put this in Fremont? Um, <laughs> uh, well, first of all, I obviously I'm a fan of, of tents. Like, like, I mean, I, real, real, like, Hardcore tents, not not like you know Cub, Cub Scout tents, um, which are fine. But, but um, the, the the this actually credit goes to uh, a number of people in the Tesla team because they they actually looked at how could we do this in Fremont if, if we had to, um, and we feel that we can actually append building space um, uh, to the uh, uh, basically to the west side of the building. Um, and use a lot of internal space that's currently used for warehousing in, um, in, in our Fremont factory. And so we believe it actually uh, can be done with minimal disruption uh, to add Model Y to, to Fremont. I'm a bit surprised that they even want to build it in Fremont, but I suppose that there are probably a number of advantages if they can figure it out. Logistical ones mostly, I suppose. You know, one way or the other, one way or the other, uh, I would have to imagine that they're going to outgrow the Fremont facility pretty soon. Semi, which I already talked about, probably going to be Gigafactory. And then I would think the pickup is going to have to be either at the Gigafactory or somewhere else that's not Fremont. So going to be interesting to see how all this shakes out. Elon was also asked if he would prefer to take the company private if he could, sort of dredging this up again. And, and Elon uh, had a little bit of a laugh, but he did answer the question as such. Well, it's made, I don't want to surprise you, but I, you know, I, I would prefer we were private. Um, but that uh, unfortunately, I think the ship, that ship has sailed. So, um, 
But is it important? I mean, do you think the company's value is maximized being being public, or is it just is just only so much you can do, and and you got to you know play the hand they're dealt? Well, I mean, it being public does feel like you know the. the the, the sort of price of the stock is is being set in kind of a manic depressive way, um, and uh, I think like Warren Buffett's analogy is it's like you know being public traded companies like ha- having someone stand at the edge of your of your like of your home and just randomly yell different prices for your house every day. <laughs> Still the same house. <laughs> um, yeah. So. You know, it's 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 a bit of a distraction at times, um, but uh, I'm not sure what to do about it. I have to say, I thought this was a really honest admission that the ship ongoing private has sailed, and that the stock price stuff is a distraction sometimes to him, and that he admits he doesn't know what to do about it. You know, you don't if you think at least for me, I don't think. I listen to a lot of what this guy says, pretty much everything Elon says with regard to Tesla, and you don't hear Elon Musk often say that he doesn't know what to do about something. Usually he's got some kind of idea for how he wants to tackle a problem, but not here. I thought that was just a, you know, just a very, very human admission there. Capital. Should Elon, will Elon raise capital? That has been a point of uh, contention between Elon and Wall Street back and forth from time to time. Elon was asked, would he, could he, should he raise capital? And here's what he had to say. I, I don't think raising capital should be a substitute for making the company operate more effectively. So that, you know, in that sense, I, I think it's just, it's important to have a strong financial discipline company and just uh, to make sure we don't have extraneous ex- ex- expenses and that we're just being frugal with capital. Um, uh, you know, if we just keep raising capital every time, then uh, it, it, it just takes, it, it, we don't have the forcing function for improving the, the, the fundamental operation of the business. Um, so I think it is healthy to uh, be on a Spartan diet for a while. Um, you know, at, at this point, I do think there is uh, some merit to raising capital. Um, that's, uh, I but, but, you know, this is sort of probably about the right timing, but yeah. Elon saying there is some merit to raising capital. That's the first time we've heard him say that in quite a while. And I think it's good that he's open to it, if it makes sense, because for a while there, and again, maybe this is just my interpretation of it, but for a while, it really seemed like he was at such odds with the short sellers and maybe even disillusioned with the market in general that he just didn't want to raise capital just so that he wouldn't have to deal with them at all. So we'll see if and when the right time comes along for a capital raise out in the market. Maybe, I'm I'm no expert, but maybe for Model Y production, as that spins up, that would be uh, the first thing that comes to mind for me on that. So stay tuned. A couple more clips here. Uh, Here's Elon speaking to the whole... uh, I mean, hey, I called it out as I thought, you know, I thought the the whole way that the messaging on closing the stores and then not closing the stores, but maybe still closing some of the stores, that whole thing in and around the standard range battery announcement was was handled pretty poorly. Elon was asked about that. And here's uh, what he had to say. He was very humble about it. 
You know, I think, um, I mean, Tesla, I suppose specifically, I didn't, didn't handle the messaging that well. Um, the, 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 like, uh, and then that's amplified by, you know, we make a statement and sort of taken to an extreme, um, or there's a misunderstanding. Uh, we, we, we certainly uh, will continue to have stores and we will continue to add stores. Uh, provided they are in locations where there is high foot traffic um, and uh, for people with that are, that are in our target market, um, so we, will, we actually will continue to add stores in locations that are no-brainers. But we will we will uh, close stores in locations where they're, they're incredibly hard to find um, and the. The foot traffic, foot traffic of potential buyers is very low, such that it does not uh, support the cost of the store and the people in it. So I think this is just common sense. Um, and then all sales online just means that um, even if you go into a store, you we, we guide you to be to order the, the the car on your phone. So the store is essentially like like they're like information centers, uh, a place you can get a test drive. Um, and you know, buy some Tesla merchandise, that kind of thing. But all sales online doesn't mean all stores are closed. It just means that when you buy buy a car, you always do it on your phone in the store, or or, or at home, or anywhere. Uh, people took all orders online to mean all stores are closing. This is that's not what's meant. So yeah, you know, as I said, uh, I thought the messaging was pretty poor on that whole thing, and and it's nice to hear him own up to it. You know, some humility there. I think. Honestly, not a lot of people and probably even fewer CEOs in that position would would talk about that, would uh, own up to that, in my humble opinion. You know, that, that humility to me also suggests that he's learned from that mistake, which I talked about at that time, about how important it was for Tesla to learn from the mistake and not repeat it, and that, how that would be critical as the company continued to grow, that, that those mistakes would only be more amplified and more painful as the company got bigger and bigger. So it does sure sound like Elon did learn from that, which is great. The last clip I have for you from the earnings call for Q1 2019 is uh, in regards to the standard range battery and the standard range plus. Elon, uh, with some interesting uh, thoughts and revelations on on those two trims. Take a listen to this. Uh, I mean, our, our goal, as we've been very clear about from the beginning of the company, is to um, make our cars as affordable as possible. Um, and uh, we felt, felt it was important to offer the $35,000 Model 3 um, and then to create a, a sort of a bundled package for the uh, Model 3 with the increased range. Because uh, we think actually that difference between 220 and 240 is, is quite important, and more important than people realize uh, in range. Um, and uh, you know, having a partial premium interior and then bundling autopilot. Uh, so we, we thought those, like we wanted to create like a product that's really just nails the sweet spot, which I think the $39,500 um, Model 3 is just really nails the sweet spot, and we're seeing consumer response accordingly. Um, and if people can still buy the $35,000 Version of the, of the model model three that doesn't have autopilot and um, and, and has a software range restriction that kind of thing. Um, it's, it's like slightly more inconvenient to, to, to buy. You just have to make a phone call uh, or visit a store. So it's, it's not like you know you have to complete the you know 
some, you know, obstacle course or something. Um, but uh, but we see very few people actually take taking us up on that thirty five thousand dollar offer. But it is it is there and will remain there. So the real reason I wanted to play that real quick was that little bit about the standard range car because I figured I think I even said this uh, what last week or so or the week, last week two weeks two shows ago based on Tesla's history and track record that the standard range model 3 going off menu probably meant that it was going to quietly disappear altogether fairly soon and as you heard from Elon there that is seemingly not the case Elon saying that it will remain as an off menu option now to be fair he didn't say for how long so if it does disappear, you can't say, oh, well, Elon had said it will remain. He didn't say for how long. But I will I will say that in, in context there, I took that to mean that it wouldn't be a quick and quiet exit from the menu on or off of it altogether. And that's good. I, I hope the standard range does stick around for a while so that if somebody does want a $35,000 Model 3, that they can get one. All right, my overall thoughts on this, like I said at the top, you know, I thought it, it really, it was a very, uh, and I don't mean this in a, in a mean way, but it was, a, by Tesla standards, kind of a, a boring, a bit of a boring conference call overall. Again, I'm not saying that insultingly, it's just, you know, there was no, there was no like real revelatory news or, or sort of spirited uh, debate with <laughs> about anything. It was just kind of, you know, they're just kind of going through it, getting it done. And probably, and I don't blame them, you know, it just, it wasn't great news. The, the stock hasn't been doing super well. You know, they, they did uh, lose money in Q1 and they said they expect to lose money again in Q2, but return to profitability in Q3. So, you know, it was what it was, although there was still plenty of interesting stuff in there. The insurance thing for sure. The Model Y maybe being built in Fremont, and uh, you know Elon speaking to those those messaging failures uh, about the store closures, and that that last bit there about the standard range sticking around for a while. So Q1 2019, another earnings call in the books. These are some of my favorite episodes to do. Again, they they take me a long time. There's uh, my my whole basically all my free time during during earnings call weeks goes to this and it was even it was even more so this week. I've spent a, a ton of hours uh, on the show this week with that autonomy day, but I again, I always feel like it's worth it cuz uh, I love being able to distill all this stuff down and I, I hope that it makes for a good podcast. I hope you enjoy it. I, I do I do enjoy the end result. The <laughs> it's a it's a good bit of work that goes into it, but I'm always I always feel good at the end of it. And we're we're coming up on the end of it, but we're not quite there. One more quick little musical break, and then I'll be right back to wrap everything up for you right after this. So as per usual with earnings call weeks, no Ride the Lightning hotline this week because the show's already pushing two hours long with the Autonomy Day stuff in there. But I'm sure you probably have some reactions to all the big stuff from this week. So I encourage you to call in. I welcome your calls, your questions, your comments, your discussion topics. What did you think of everything this past week? 
uh, give me a call. You can call in in one of two easy ways. Either way, I kindly ask that you keep your call to 90 seconds or less, minute and a half. So you can either use your smartphone's built-in voice recording software, record your question, and email it to me at teslapodcast at gmail.com. Or you can call in on the Ride the Lightning hotline. It's toll-free, and the number is one 989 8752. Again, that's 1 888 TSLA. Real quick, Spirit of Adventure wise, I'll just mention, and I was gone for the week, so the car sat, but uh, I did just get version 12.1. That seems to have been pushed out wide. If you haven't gotten it in uh, your car, you'll probably be seeing it very soon. It has got the supercharger update which uh, just updates that uh, maximum charging capacity on the version 2 superchargers to 150 kilowatts of a peak, which actually is higher. They had said 145, so 150 there. Uh, And then the top speed on the P3D, I thought I already got this, but it's uh, showing as new in here. 162 miles an hour uh, up from 155. I will never see that. I will absolutely never drive my car that fast. So, (laughs) but okay, it's there. Uh, and then the other one, to the two new Tesla Atari games, 2048, now playable in the Atari Easter egg basket, and then Super Breakout as well, and uh, related to the supercharging, the on-route battery warm-up. So uh, trying to get your car to charge a bit faster with those, those efficiency-minded updates. Good stuff there. I do have a pro tip of the week. It comes to us from our friend Bob in Austin. He calls it a, well, a semi-professional tip, semi-pro tip. It is about uh, things that you don't want on the front of your car. Bob, take it away. Hi, Ryan. This is Bob from Austin. I wouldn't call this a pro tip, maybe a semi-pro or even amateur tip. But one of the poorest things you can do to your car's appearance is to let bugs stay on the nose. Especially here in the South, every time I go out driving, I end up with little bugs all over the nose. Well, here's what I do. You have to take them off right away. I get a bunch of microfiber cloths from Amazon. I cut them into quarters, so each quarter costs me next to nothing, a dime or so. I soak it in water, put it in a Ziploc bag. Every time I stop to plug in, whether I'm supercharging on a trip or come home at night, I spend an extra 20 seconds and I wipe the bugs off. The water dissolves them, the microfiber cloth doesn't hurt the finish, and voila, you have a clean nose again, and you're not stuck with thinking you have to use some kind of a chemical to remove them later on. Keep your car looking clean and new. Takes a little time, costs a little money, easy to do. Bye-bye. I want to note that Bob called back to add that he has a bunch of those, and he cuts them up. He says they're cheap on Amazon, and I actually know I bought some off of Amazon as well, those uh, those, uh, towels for wiping down the seats. Anyway, he says he keeps them in the frunk. And I think, anyway, I think this is an excellent tip because Bob is right. It's not good for the paint to leave those acidic bug guts on there. It's reason number 745 to do paint protection film on at least the front of the car if your budget happens to allow for it. Again, if you've got a pro tip, something interesting that you've learned about your car that's maybe not super obvious that you want to share with others, I welcome you to send it in. Uh, what you do, you, you just send it in like a phone call. So the, the information I gave you just a few minutes ago on that. And with that, we've come to the end of the show. Immaculate Reflection, speaking of paint protection film, 
They did my car, did a tremendous job. I'm so happy with the the time and care and craftsmanship that was put into the detailing efforts and paint protection efforts on my car. So if you're in the Bay Area or you're going to be in the Bay Area with your car, maybe you're taking delivery here or what have you, uh, and you'd like to talk to, you'd like to see what Abstract Oceans, Abstract, nope, already talked about them, with Immaculate Reflections can do for your car. Uh, Abstract Ocean too, but not with uh, detailing. Immaculate Reflections, you can visit their website at irdetailing.com. Meanwhile, I'm on Patreon if you enjoy this episode. Uh, again, th- this is the big one. This, like, I would say literally three times more work goes into this week than the normal weeks, which normal weeks are still, you know, a lot of, a lot of time and, and energy and love goes into this podcast. So uh, supporting it on Patreon is sincerely appreciated if you choose to do so. But it is, I... I just reiterate, entirely optional. This show will always be free. It'll always be there for you on Sundays. Uh, but if you do want to go the extra step and and uh, maybe support me on Patreon, I would sincerely appreciate that. All that information uh, about how to support me is on the Patreon page, which you can find at patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Patreon.com slash Tesla podcast. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at DMC underscore Ryan. Same handle for Instagram there as well. And Instagram's where all the, the Tesla pictures go. The, ah, the Jada wireless charging pad. If you've got a Qi compatible wireless charging phone and you want a wireless charging mat for your Model 3, uh, the Jada is an excellent choice. I've got one in my car. If you bought the version one of it, uh, they now have an, an upgrade program for you, which you will get a $25 discount, which is also 25% off the version 2 one, and include, that also includes a free spacer that's valued at $20 for a total savings of $45. You probably got an email about that already if you'd already bought a version 1 of the, uh, of the Jada Wireless charging pads. But the version 2, either way, whether you're upgrading or a first-time customer, I don't have a discount for that, unfortunately, to share with you like I do with Abstract Ocean, but they do, uh, full transparency, they've, they've given me a, a referral link where if you order it with my link, they'll, they'll throw a few bucks my way. So another way you can, uh, you can uh, support me a little bit there. So if that is of interest to you, if you do plan to order one and you'd like to order it through my link, that link is getjada.com, G-E-T-J-E-D-A, pardon me, getjada.com, slash R-E-F slash eight. Meanwhile, uh, supercharging, you know, Tesla's got the referral program back. Thousand miles of free supercharging if you order your Tesla, your new Tesla, with a referral code. Again, uh, I hope you've got a friend, a family member, a coworker whose code you can you can use for that because they will also get a thousand miles of free supercharging. So you win and they win. But if I happen to be the only Tesla person in your life as of now, uh, we just want to make sure that you get your thousand miles. So uh, consider me your last resort on that. But uh, if you do need it, my code, order your car. Uh, with my code, it's ts.la slash Ryan73014. That's what you type into a browser window, and that'll take you to a landing page on the Tesla site where you choose Model S, Model X, or Model 3. 
configure and order your car and it'll uh, have that code baked in so that you get your thousand miles of free supercharging. And I think that's everything. Yes. I want to say thank you for bearing with me on what, what again, is about a two-hour episode, but uh, hopefully I've used your time wisely. There was just so much dense, awesome information this week. Great stuff. Uh, before I go, I, of course, do want to say thank you to the Patreon producers. This is the uh, list of folks who kindly support me at the, pa- the uh, producer tier, pardon me. And those folks, we got a couple new ones. Uh, one that I missed prior to my vacation, just the way the recording schedule worked out, I apologize. Uh, Chris, and I, I, I'm going to probably get his name wrong. Chris, I apologize if I do. It's, I believe it's uh, Chris Kinesnik. Uh, I think. I hope I've got that right, Chris. I hope that C is an is a is a soft C. Let me know if I'm wrong. And then uh, John Cody as well. John, thank you so much. In addition to the rest of the Patreon producers, DJ Harbaugh, Pete White, Wolfgang Obergen, George Cassiopo, David Brander, Jonathan Wales, Alexi Heft, Logan Willis, Matthew Para, Michael Lester, Robert Maracle, Jason Chalukas. Joe Edgel, Tim Hyde, Marcus Mayenshine, Lars Hoffman, Lawton from Chicago, Peter Chalet, Rome Strack, David Vakil, Ulrich Lassa, Luke A., Eric Randolph, David Nondal, Gabriel Salaise, Jerry and Mary Smith, Brian Hope, Bill Royko, Lyle Austin, Joel Sapp, Dory and Steve Guberman, Luxendary.com, Michael Waddle, Daniel Grummer, Blake Wiley, Josh, Jeremy, Jeremy Harris, Tesla Owners Taiwan, Rob Brewer, My Tesla Adventure, Ron Lee, and Lambert Lee. Thank you all so, so much for your generous and continued support at the Patreon producer tier. That'll do it for a very sleepy and very gassy Daisy the Boxer Puppy who who did make her way back down from my daughter's room. She, She woke up and figured out, wait a second. I'm not next to dad. I better get down there. Of course, she comes down here and just starts starts uh, gassing me right out of my room here, my my office where I record the podcast. So thanks a lot, Daisy. But uh, anyway, I hope you all have a wonderful week. Happy electric motoring, and I'll see you back next week. I mean, I think a Tesla is the most fun thing you could possibly buy ever. <laughs> That's what it's meant to be. Well, our goal is to make it's it's not exactly a car. It's actually a thing to maximize enjoyment. Mm. Make it's maximum fun.